0: Today, glad you're here. Uh, we're starting uh, uh, continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Supplement. So if you've got a, a Bible with you, if you've got a Bible on your phone or iPad or something that you can turn on, go ahead and, and uh, bring up Second Peter and uh, chapter 1. And we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read these, these verses to you and, and then kind of give you a recap of what we talked about the last couple weeks and then jump into what we're talking about today. And so 2 Peter... 1, 5 through 7. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when we started, I told you that the guy that wrote this book is named Peter, and he was Jesus' right-hand man when Jesus was was here on earth doing ministry here on earth. And, and after after Jesus left and went back to heaven after the resurrection, Peter became the head of the church. He was kind of the head guy, and and uh, he was the one that spoke at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved on that day, not because of Peter's greatness, but because of God's greatness and, and Peter allowing God to work through him. And, and since that time, when this letter is being written, Peter's actually writing this from prison. He's been thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, for doing what he did at Pentecost that day. And the Roman government didn't like what he was doing and what he had to say, and so they threw him in prison. And so as he's writing this letter, he's waiting to be executed. And we know from history that that later did happen, that he was executed, and and he was executed for the cause of Christ. And so while he's writing this, he's writing, waiting to be executed, and he's writing to people like you and people like me. He's writing to people who are followers of Jesus, and he's giving them hope, and he's telling them, even though times are tough, even though the culture you live in is, is, is anti-Christian, even though the places you go, you find very few people that are in support of what you believe in, he's telling them to stay strong, to live, and, to, and to, that God has given you everything you need to live the Christian life here on this earth. That's what was going on in that time. <clears throat> and it's kind of like where we live today. We live in a post-Christian culture. We live in a time where you you turn on TV and and you listen to the radio and you read on the internet. There are very few godly examples in culture for us to look at. And so when we read these words, we need to understand that the words that Peter spoke for the believers back a couple of thousand years ago that were true then are just as true today. And that is that God has given us everything we need to live as a true follower of Jesus in this post Christian culture, and this is what he says in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. He's given us some commands of something that we should do as believers. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and Donnie talked about last week, uh, last Sunday morning, that, that the part of that verse says that we're supposed to make every effort to supplement our faith. And so these are things that we're supposed to be adding to our faith. God has, Jesus has already saved us by what he did on the cross. We're not talking about trying to be good enough to earn his love. We're not talking about trying to be good enough to to not sin anymore because that's not in us. We can't do that. Only chance we have against sin is the cross, is, is the blood, is the resurrection. That's our only hope. But we do have a responsibility now that we have been saved, now that we have been forgiven of our sin, now that we have been given a new life. Our responsibility now is to add to that faith. And Peter tells us some specific things we're supposed to add. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means to add virtue to our faith. And then last week, Donnie talked to you about what it means to add self control to your faith. And today, what I want to talk to you about is what it means to add knowledge to your faith. What does it mean to add knowledge to your faith? Now, we live in a, a time period where we have more access to knowledge or to information. Than anyone has ever had in history. I can remember about 20 years ago, I went to a, to a, 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 a convention or a, a meeting, and, and there was this guy talking about the future of the church, and he was talking about things that were coming up in the world. And I remember he, he made a statement, and he said that, that in the next 10 years or so, that the, the companies that will be the most valuable in our country will not be the companies that can deliver product the fastest but the companies that can deliver information the fastest and I remember thinking what in the world are you talking about you know it didn't make any sense to me then but he this guy he was already foreseeing what we see today Today, the companies that can get their information out the fastest are, are the ones that we depend on. You depend on Google, you depend on Facebook, you depend on Twitter, you depend on CNN, their, their news site, you depend on Fox News's news site, all that stuff. And what is all that about? It's about getting information out as quickly as you can. Used to be when there was a, a, a big news story that happened, you would have to wait until you saw it on the news that night on TV, or maybe you might hear about it on the radio, and then you'd have to read about it in the paper the next morning. By now, if you're reading about it in the paper the next morning, it's history because you already read three or four things on the internet about it as soon as it was happening and you saw video of it and you saw pictures of it. We live in an information age. We live where everything is is right there for us. I, I can't tell you how many times Sherry and I will be be watching TV or talking about something, and we'll get to talking about how old do you think that person is, whoever's on the screen. Do you, how old do you think Sandra Bullock is? Well, I don't know. She looks pretty good. I'm not sure how old she is, and we'll be talking about it. Pull out the iPad, and I think it was Sandra Bullock, and I was like, daggum, she's 50 years old, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and you can immediately find that stuff out. And, and there's all kinds of information. There's information that's, that's ridiculous. Like, if you want to know today where Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's favorite place to eat is, you can find that out. Just go to the Google, as my dad calls it, and you can find out where Kim and Kanye's favorite place. Now, you don't need to know that. But you can know that if you want to. There's also helpful stuff on there if you want to know how to fix your dishwasher. I guarantee you there's probably 25 different YouTube videos about your specific type of dishwasher and the best way to fix it. That's helpful. I'm glad that stuff's out there. There's even, there's even some stuff out there that can be dangerous. If, there, if you want to know how many single people there are in the area that fit the description that you're looking for in your zip code and you're married, you can find that out. That's dangerous. You don't need to find that out, but it's out there. And, and so there's so much information. And then there's good stuff. You know, today, if you go home today and you sell your, your husband and your wife at, over lunch, you know, Cliff, he just didn't have it today. That sermon wasn't that good. I'm going to go back here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up a message from whoever. You can go back to your computer this afternoon sit in your ipad or watch it on your iphone on the way home and you can listen to a message today from some of the greatest bible teachers in america and it's all right there at your fingertips so there's good stuff out there too and then there's stuff out there that's dangerous like that because at the same time you can listen to a great bible teacher but you can also find some guy that tells you he knows the date and time jesus is coming back and he tells you that all translations of the bible are terrible except the one he came out with and that's out there too so you got to be careful so we live in a, an, an age of knowledge, an age of information. But, but while we live in, in all of this, this knowledge and information, one of the things that we have to do as believers is we have to be sure that we are seeking knowledge of the best things. You have to seek knowledge of the best things. See, when, when Peter writes here that you're supposed to supplement your faith with knowledge, he's specifically talking about spiritual understanding. He's specifically talking about knowledge of Jesus. He's not just talking about any kind of knowledge. I'm glad that there's other types of knowledge out there. I'm glad that there are people that, that have knowledge about how to do surgeries and how to do algebraic equations and how to rebuild an engine. That type of knowledge is necessary in the world we live in. But, but that, that's not the type of knowledge Peter here is talking about because I don't know if, if you're like me. I'm, I'm kind of a curious guy. And, and I like to learn about stuff all the time, I'll go into the library, and I'll never get past the new nonfiction section. It sits right there on the left, and I'll look at it, and there'll be about four or five books that I want to check out immediately. Oh, there's something about the assassination of Kennedy. I want to read that. I read a book a while back, and Sherry laughed at me. She said, I cannot believe you're reading this. It was about the history of Dungeons and Dragons. It just caught my eye, and I thought, How did Dungeons and Dragons start? I was a bunch of nerds that played that when I was in high school. Why did they like it so much? So I read a book about that because I'm curious about those kinds of things. But listen, there's all kinds of knowledge. But we need to be, as believers, in the midst of learning about all those things, we need to be seeking knowledge of the best things. We need to be seeking the knowledge about Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do in our life. There's a great story in, in the book of Luke, in, in, in Luke chapter 10, and, and uh, it tells a story about Jesus when he was, he was here on earth, he had these friends, and uh, there were two sisters and a brother, and they lived together, it was Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and Jesus was really tight with them, he, he hung out with them, spent time at their house, and they tell this story that Jesus had gone to their house, and and Mary and Martha and Lazarus had invited a bunch of their friends, so it's like a big... You know, time to barbecue, grill out, or whatever, and, and they're all there, and they're eating hot dogs and, and, um, and hamburgers and that kind of stuff. No, no ham, though, because that was illegal. And so they're in there eating all that stuff, and, and Jesus is just teaching, and he's talking to people. And it's, it wasn't real formal. It wasn't like he had three or four points. He just was being Jesus, and he was talking and telling people about how to live and telling people about the kingdom of heaven and talking about great stuff. And in that story, it talks about that the two sisters, Mary and Martha, were doing two very different things. Martha was, she has a, she's a, a good lady, has a servant's heart. And so any woman with a servant's heart, when they have people over the house, what is she doing? Well, she's making sure everybody's taken care of. And she's in the kitchen, and she's cleaning plates, and she's making sure everybody's sweet teas refilled. And she's doing all that kind of stuff, and she's just working and taking out the trash and all this stuff. Now, what is, what is Martha's sister, Mary, doing? Well, she's just sitting down doing nothing but she wasn't really doing nothing. She was sitting down and listening to Jesus and just sitting right there at his side. Well, Martha, after a while, she got like any person in that situation, mostly would, and got pretty frustrated with her sister because she's thinking, hey, it's not just my house. It's your house. It's not just my kitchen. It's your kitchen. How come I'm doing all the work? So she comes out, and you know what Martha does? She actually rebukes Jesus, and she says to him, don't you see what she's doing? I'm doing all the work here, Jesus. Make her get up and come in here and help me. And I love what Jesus says to her. And look at Luke 10, 41 and 42. It's on the screen. This is what Jesus said. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There's a lot of stuff that that Martha was focusing on that day. None of it was bad stuff. Making sure everybody's drinks are refilled, that's not a bad thing. Making sure the house is clean, that's not a bad thing. Making sure the kitchen is taken care of, that's not a bad thing. But it wasn't the best thing. The best thing that day would have been to let the dishes pile up, let people get their own drink refills, and sit and listen to Jesus. And what Peter tells us here is we're supposed to supplement our faith with the best things. With what Jesus calls the good portion. That there's a lot of things that we can have our minds on. There's a lot of things that just like Martha, there's a lot of things that we can be anxious and troubled about. But instead of allowing our minds to be consumed by that, we need to seek knowledge of the best things. To be looking out for what does Jesus want out of my life? What does Jesus have to say to me? What is, what, how do I live in the situation I'm in right now? How does Jesus want me to live? So where do we, where do we find that information? Because we're, we're surrounded by information. Well, the best source of knowledge that supplements faith is the Bible. The best source of knowledge that supplements faith is the Bible. Now, I want you to imagine with me just for a minute that I, I've asked you to come to my house and do a job for me. I'm not going to pay anything because I'm broke, but, it, but you've volunteered to come to my house, all right? And, and you're going to do a job for me, and I've got a tree I want you to cut down. And I just say, all you've got to do is show up. I've got the equipment that you need. You just come and cut this tree down. And you're thinking, okay, I can handle that. And you get there, and it's not an oak tree. It's not huge, but, but it's a pretty significant size tree. It's 20 feet tall, and you know, I don't know what the diameter is. It's you know, 8 to 12 inches in diameter, pretty, pretty nice size tree. And I come out to you and you say, okay, you said you've got the equipment. And I say, yeah, and I pull out a machete and I hand it to you. Go at it. I need you to cut it down. That's the material that you've got to work with right there. Now, can you cut down a tree with a machete? And there's some of you are like, Cliff, I don't have any idea. Well, let me tell you, you can. uh, But it's not easy. In fact, it's not ideal at all. In fact, if you wanted to cut down that size tree with a machete, it would take you a long time because you'd have to stop two or three times because you're about to die. And then, and then you'd have to restart. And then you'd probably have to sharpen the blade at least once because it's, it's going to get dull from, from doing a job that a machete was not designed to do. Now, if you want to cut down a tree that size, you need a chainsaw. That's what you need. And and it doesn't even have to be a big chainsaw to cut down a tree that size. And if I gave you a chainsaw, you could have that tree on the ground or on the house or the car, but depending on how good you are at using a chainsaw, but you could have that tree down within five minutes. And then you're just worried about cutting it up and getting it moved out of there. Because a chainsaw was designed for cutting down a tree. Well, guess what we happen to have in our possession? And almost all of you have one or you have access to one. You have the perfect tool that has been designed to help you supplement your faith. You have the perfect tool that has been designed to tell you about who God is, what He wants to do in your life, and how you're supposed to live, and it's called the Bible. That is the tool that's been designed for that. Now, there's other things you can use to try to supplement your faith with knowledge about Jesus. You can, you can listen to me talk all the time. You might get some, some knowledge about Jesus from listening to me. You can read other books about the Bible that might help that. You can talk to people who are wise. And, and none of those things are bad. Those are even good things. But that's not the best way to supplement your faith. That's like trying to cut down a tree with a machete. If you want to go directly to the source, if you want to supplement your faith with knowledge the best possible way, the most efficient way, the way to do that is to read the Bible. You have the best tool available to you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says this about the Bible. He says for the word of God is living and active. I love that. It's I, I could stop and talk about that for 20 minutes, but it's alive. It's not like any other book you'll ever read. It's living. Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you hear what that last part says? It says that the very Bible that you own, that you read, that when you read it, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And here's what that means. That means when you really read the Scripture when you really dig into it and you ask God to speak to you through it and you come to it, not, not with a preconceived idea, but you come to it open saying, God, I want you to teach me what you have to say through the Bible. When you really do that, that what happens is, is for the very first time, you'll begin to see what your heart looks like compared to what the heart of Jesus looks like. And when you see what your heart looks like compared to the heart of Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how good you are, our hearts, compared to Jesus' hearts, are very far from being what they should be. We're very far from being the followers of Jesus, being the Christian people, being the lovers of God that we're supposed to be. And when we read the Bible, our heart's exposed. It exposes our heart before God's heart, and we begin to see the need that we have for Him. Now, one of the things that, that um, I'm guilty of and I know you're probably not, but one of the things that I'm guilty of is I don't use the tool that we've been given enough. I don't use the Bible enough. I I live in a country where I can read the Bible for 12 hours a day if I want to, and I won't go to jail for that. I can sit in public and read it on a park bench where everybody can see me and know I will not be arrested for that. I live in a a place where I can get it on the internet immediately, or I've got four or five copies of it laying around my house and my office that I can pick up at any time I want to. And in spite of all that, I still don't use it enough. I'm not in it as much as I need to be. And I would imagine and just guess, and I hope I'm not uh, presupposing something on you, but I think you're probably the same way I am you probably think about your life and you think, you know, I I could spend a little bit more time. I could dig in there a little more. I could allow my heart to be exposed before the heart of God more and see what it is that he wants from me. I read a story one time about a pastor from Hawaii um, who went to China on a mission trip. And uh, he went and and he was told that he was going to get a chance to Minister and to teach Chinese pastors, and so they had to meet in a house because it was illegal. The gathering they were doing was illegal, and so they're in a house. And he said that the the floor was jam packed with these men who were Chinese pastors of house churches, and it's, as far as you you know, every inch of space was taken up with people sitting there ready to hear him teach. And so when he stands up, he pulls out a Bible that he had smuggled in, and he begins to to read. And he asked one person, would someone like to read such, you know, such and such part of the Bible? And a guy stands up, and he begins to quote it. And then he asked if someone else wanted to read another part. Another guy stands up, and he quoted that part. And so he stopped, and he asked them, he said, do none of you have Bibles? And they said, no, we can't. It's illegal to have Bibles, and it's too dangerous for us to have them. So what we do is we write down the scripture on pieces of paper, and then we memorize it. And different men in there had different parts of the Bible memorized. And so if he asked for someone to read from, from 1 Peter, the guy who's got 1 Peter memorized would stand up and he'd read that part. If he asked someone to read from Psalm 50, the guy who's got that section of Psalms would, would stand up and he would quote that. And so together, all these people together, they had the Bible memorized because they had done that. And that is a that is a a, a picture of people who have, have understood the value of the Bible, that it's so important to them, it's so life-giving to them, that first of all, they would read it and memorize it when it's illegal to, and second of all, that they would take the time to be able to memorize that and be able to share that with other people. And too often times... I'm busy spending time doing other things which aren't bad, but I could spend more time in the Word because the best source of knowledge that supplements faith is the Bible. Now, I'm doing all this talk about about supplementing your faith with knowledge and reading the Bible, and and I want to give you one warning in here because there is a warning that that I need to give you, and that is this, that knowledge without the right motivation can be dangerous. Knowledge without the right motivation can be dangerous. Can be dangerous. Now, when I was preparing this message, um, I didn't even think about this at first. I, I had on my mind thinking about reading the Bible, and, and that that that's all I needed to talk about. And then, as I began to look through the Scripture for other places where the Apostle Paul used the word knowledge, because he says to supplement your faith with knowledge, I came across a verse, and I realized, oh, this is there's also a danger to this thing. See. See, there was a... a, a Paul, Paul, one of the things that Paul did was he went around and he started churches. And, uh, and he started a church in a, in a place called Corinth. And uh, there's two letters in the New Testament, the letter of 1 Corinthians and the letter of 2 Corinthians, that Paul wrote to that church. And so what Paul would do is he, he went to Corinth and he started this church And he he got it up and running and he stayed there for a while teaching and then he trained up some other people to be the pastors of that church and then Paul left and he went to another place and he started another church. Well, after he was gone, he, he, would, he would check in with the, the leaders of the church, and the way they had to check in is they had to write a letter, they had to send it with someone who would carry it on a horse or take it on a boat or, or whatever to get over to where Paul was. So it took a long time for these letters to go back and forth. And while Paul was gone, he, he got some letters from the leaders of the church at Corinth, and they said, we got a real problem here in our church. He said, we have a problem with people being arrogant. We have a problem that people think they have learned so much about Jesus. They think they've learned so much about the Scripture. They think that they are so mature in their faith that instead of helping the younger believers, instead of helping the people who come in that need to hear about Jesus, instead they're looking down their noses at them as if they're better than them. There, there was a real problem with a, with a holier-than-thou attitude going on at the church of Corinth. And so you had people who should have been helping these younger believers, and instead they were mocking them and looking down at them. And so Paul writes this letter back, and he's telling them that this is a danger, that they've got to stop this. They've got to stop this arrogance. And in 1 Corinthians, there's a whole bunch of talk about that. But one verse that that, uh, caught my attention when I was preparing this message is 1 Corinthians eight one. Paul says this, we know that all of us Possess knowledge. Now, I want you to notice something on the screen here. Notice it says, "All of us possess knowledge." You see, that's in quotation marks because Paul wrote that with quotation marks because that was a saying that was going around in the Corinthian church, and so Paul was saying to them, "Listen, y'all are walking around and you're bragging on yourself about knowledge." They were saying things like, "Hey, all of us, we possess knowledge. We we know what we're doing. We know about." What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul said, We know that all of us possess knowledge. Y'all think you're so smart. He said, This knowledge, again in quotation marks, puffs up, but love builds up. See, what was going on there is that, that people were beginning to, to, to uh, collect knowledge, not because they wanted to help others, but they were wanting to collect knowledge to build up their own ego to show off how smart they were, to say, hey, look, I can quote all the, the books of the Bible and I can name the apostles backwards and forwards and then put them in alphabetical order. I can do all kind of stuff. And so it got to be this, this bragging competition that was going around. And so what, that, that it wasn't about really learning to follow Jesus. It was about who knew more. And I love that verse there that, that, where it says this knowledge puffs up. I got two pictures I want to show you. Let me show you this first picture right here. This is a picture, now some of you guys, you know, you're already like, you know, slobbering at the mouth right here. This picture, this is a male turkey, male wild turkey, and, uh, and uh, some of you are disappointed that I said wild turkey, and it's not like a, some bourbon, but anyway, this is a bird wild turkey, and uh, this, is, this is what a, a wild turkey looks like, male, if he's just walking down the street, and, and I say walking down the street, because the other day I rode through Blue Ridge Plantation, and there was one of these walking down the street, like right in the road, and a uh, and so this, this is a male wild turkey. This is what they look like normally. They're just hanging out. He's got his beard hanging down there, and he's, a, he's good to go, you know, just kind of chilling out. Now, look at this picture right here. Now, this is a male wild turkey when he's all puffed up. Now, some of you that, that hunt turkeys, why does a male wild turkey look like that? When does he look like that? What, what is around when a male wild turkey looks like it? Somebody say you hens, yeah, female wild turkeys. When a when a when a male wild turkey sees or smells or I don't know how that senses that a female wild turkey is in vicinity, that's what he does. Now, why does he do that? Because he's trying to be impressive. He's trying to get her attention. He's trying to say, "Look at me. This is this is the equivalent of a fifteen-year-old boy spraying himself down with Axe body spray and then." <laughs> And then doing a bunch of push-ups before he goes to school so people can see how ripped his biceps are. That, that's what this is. And, and, and he's all puffed up because he's trying to get someone's attention. Well, the, the, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, he said, Listen, the knowledge that you're gathering, th- this knowledge is just puffing you up. Because knowledge that, that puffs up is about drawing attention to yourself. Knowledge that puffs up is about getting people to to look at you and see how smart you are. But what he says there in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, collecting knowledge, if you're just collecting knowledge about the Bible, then what that results in is that that helps you to be a judgmental, self-absorbed believer that you think it's all about you, you think you're so smart and you're looking down at other people. Well, I'm glad I don't commit that sin anymore. I remember when I was sinful like that, but now I'm so godly and I have a new voice to prove it. You know, and, but instead, what Paul says is that we're supposed to do, instead of collecting knowledge, that instead we go to the to the Word and and we're we're supplementing our faith with knowledge. And the difference between collecting knowledge and supplementing your faith with knowledge, collecting knowledge is all about us. Supplementing our faith with knowledge is all about others. It's about action. It's motivated by love. See, when it says that knowledge puffs us up, that's about who we are. That's about saying, look at me. But when it says that love builds up, that's about what can we do for someone else. How can I take what what God has done in my life. How can I take, my heart has been exposed to the scripture and it's been laid open and I see how far I've got to go to be like Jesus and because of that, now I've learned something that then I can help someone who's not as far along the pathway as I am. And I can go to them in love and I can walk with them through those difficult days. And I think about my own life and I think about people who I'm, who I'm so thankful for, that that they took the knowledge that, that God had given them through Scripture and instead of looking down their nose at me and saying, well, Cliff just doesn't have it all together. Instead, they walked with me so that I could learn a little from their experience, learn more about who I need to be as a believer because that's what love does. Love builds up where knowledge puffs up. So we're supposed to supplement our faith with knowledge, with the best things, with the things that are about Jesus. Now, as I get ready to finish up here, a couple weeks ago, when when I gave the message about virtue, I I closed it by asking you some questions, asking you to think about some things. And I, I asked you some things like, you know, think about what your marriage would look like if you supplemented your faith with virtue, what the place you work with would look like and I could ask you those same questions today about what those things would look like if you supplemented your faith with knowledge, but, but I'm not going to ask you that because I know what would happen. If, if we all read the Scripture more and really lived it out, if we all supplemented our faith with the best stuff, with the knowledge of Jesus, if we, if we learned His character if, if we saw how far away from, from being like Him we were, if, if, we, if we began to really understand what, what grace has done in our life and, and how much we need Him, if we really made every effort to supplement our faith with knowledge, here's what would happen. We would become a church full of compassionate, humble people. We would become a church full of people who depend on the grace and the unconditional love of God to sustain us, and we would freely give that grace and that unconditional love to the people we come in contact with. And I don't know about you, but that's a church that I would love to be a part of. I would love to be a part of a church where where all of us together were so invested in the Word of God, and it was just transforming us from the inside out. That when we go out in public, we couldn't help but act and feel and live differently. Donnie said a while ago that um, a lot of us look different because we have been at the beach for a week. And um, I'm feeling pretty good about my tan right now. I'm loving this. Thinking I'm going to have some pictures made this afternoon. No, just kidding. But here's, here's the reason I have this, this tan. Well, a couple reasons. One, God blessed me with skin like this. I'm part Cherokee Indian. Some of you white people, you would just be red right now. I'm sorry for you. Um, but, but here's the other reason. Because I spent time in the sun Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I sat in the sun part of all those days. Some of those days, that's mostly what I did. I was out there for several hours in the sun, putting on sunscreen so I didn't get burnt, and I'm just bronzing up and looking like a god, right? <laughs> now if I only had the body to go with it. If I had, if I had Josh Stovall, who played that guitar, regga- if I had his body in this tan, man, it would just be over then. It'd be all on. I'd be on GQ. But, but here's the reason why is because I was in the sun every day. Now, here's what I know is going to happen. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be in the sun. I'm going to be sitting under fluorescent lights in an office. Tuesday, I'm going to be sitting under fluorescent lights in an office. I'm going to do that every day from the rest of the summer. I might get out in the sun, sun, uh, sun but when I do, this shirt's going to be on because nobody really wants to see me with their shirt off. The people at the beach last week just had to deal with it. And, and what's going to happen is this awesome tan is going to begin to fade. Why? Because I'm not in the sun. And the same thing happens with our knowledge of Jesus. When we're in the Word every day, when we're in it every single day for a significant amount of time, it's going to make a difference. People are going to begin to notice. We're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to speak differently. But when we walk away from it and we put the Bible on a shelf and we don't show up and we don't talk, we don't dig into it, guess what's going to happen? All that stuff, all that good stuff is going to begin to fade. And it's going to be harder for you to remember how to act. It's going to be harder for you to to, to be reminded of the grace of Jesus, to be reminded of the blood of Jesus. Why? Because you're not in it every day. So I want to encourage you this week. Read some every day. And if you're not in the regular habit of reading the Bible, start in the New Testament. Old Testament's awesome, but prime the pump with the New Testament. And then when you're ready, go to the Old Testament. But read it every day this week. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for giving us the gift that you've given to all of us in in the Word, in, in the Bible. And... We have the opportunity to live in a place where we can read it all we want, we can be transformed by it, and help us never to take that for granted. I pray for myself that that I would have a deeper hunger for your word, to have a deeper understanding of it, that when I stand up here to teach, I wouldn't just be teaching things that I've I've read about it in an academic way, but I'd be teaching things that that have changed me from the inside out. That the words I speak about your your Bible would be because I've lived them. And so I pray for for each of the folks that are here today. There's a a crowd of people here today, God, that if all of us are supplementing our faith with knowledge, it would make a huge impact on this community. There'd be no way we we could be stopped. And so I pray that we would become a church that every day is in the Word, that when we're away from this place, that as we're scattered out all over this county, that wherever we are, we're in the Word, we're living like the Word tells us to live, and our hearts are being exposed to your heart and we're being changed from the inside out. Thank you for being such a good, loving, compassionate, and gracious God. And help us to live tomorrow as good, loving, compassionate, and gracious people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.